The Sword and Trial episode that follows was recorded on February the 18th, 2022, just a few days after Prime Minister Trudeau invoked the Emergencies Act in Canada. Graham and I talked about the invoking of that act and the things that were taking place in the Freedom Convoy protests, primarily in Ottawa, and we try to think about it principally from the Word of God. Our desire in that episode was to think from the Bible to that specific situation, but more importantly, to identify biblical principles that should govern Christians in all of our thinking about civil unrest and about civil disobedience. We realize in doing so that there might be applications that Christians would make differently from situation to situation and from time to time. But since that episode was recorded, and in fact, while we were recording it, things have severely escalated in Ottawa. There have now been outbreaks of violence. There have been some expressions of brutality by the police against its citizens. There have been somewhere in the neighborhood of 200 arrests, and by the time that this goes out uh, through the podcast networks, it may be well over 200. There have been confirmed reports of police arresting people, putting them in vans, and then driving them out of the city in the middle of nowhere and releasing them. There have also been citizens who have been harmed by police efforts efforts to disrupt crowds or to move crowds away from the center of Ottawa. So all of these things indicate that this governmental overreach is indeed an act of tyranny. It's a sad thing to watch. And as we do in the podcast, we want to encourage everyone to pray for Canada, pray for the prime minister, pray for the police officers and the truckers, and to encourage all those of goodwill and especially God's people to stand for what is right and good and true, and to be unafraid to speak against evil and to call evil what it is and to call upon the authorities in Canada to fear God, to remember that they are his servants. And as such, God has appointed them to do their job within the spheres, exercising the authority that he has given to them for the purpose of promoting what is good in that nation and punishing what is evil. So may the Lord be merciful to our Canadian brothers and sisters and indeed to all Canadians. And may the Lord help all of God's people to think clearly about these types of situations. Welcome to The Sword and the Trial. The Sword and the Trial is a podcast of Founders Ministries, and Founders exists for the recovery of the gospel and the reformation of local churches. I'm Tom Askell. I'm Graham Gundon. Glad to have you join us again this week for this edition of The Sword and the Trial, and we want to make you aware of some things that are coming up that you might find of interest, and before we do that, let me just express a special thanks for our family members. The Founders Alliance members are the ones that support us month by month that enable us to produce this podcast and also to produce other content that is being made available to you. And we have some things that are coming out weekly right now. We're doing an evangelism course that every Friday another episode of it drops. Uh, This is a course that's being taught by R.F. Gates, who is now with the Lord, but he was a staff evangelist and itinerant evangelist out of Louisiana uh, for many, many years. And uh, those that knew R.F. couldn't help but love him. God used him tremendously to spread the gospel around the world. And also Jim Oden, who has been involved in teaching evangelism in various places around the world as well. So every Friday, just stop by the Founders website and you'll see new episodes of this evangelism course being made available open to you. Then we have another 
a couple of things coming up as well, right? Yeah, so you're doing a table talk on March 8th, which is a time for, for fam members to come online and, and ask questions right. and have a discussion with you. That's at 7 p.m., but only for family members right? Uh, on, on the website. And also, we are uh, still, uh, Vody's book is still on sale, Fault That's Lines. Right. It's on sale for $15. Yeah, that's right, which is a great price. You can get that through founders.org as well. And that's to the end of February, I think. So you just have a few days left for that. Well, Graham and I have been talking a little bit about what's going on in Canada. I mean, everybody's thinking about it. We see articles about it. We're uh, hearing from friends in Canada about the uh, Freedom Convoy, as the truckers have framed it. A lot of people are upset with that language even. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've heard freedom's just another word for white supremacy. You know, yeah, uh, freedom is being weaponized. That's and, right. Yeah. You know, all of these things. But we want to think about it uh, biblically, Christianly. We've had folks here in our own church that have asked is what, what do we think about this and how should we think about it? What principles apply? And so we thought we'd have a conversation about it. We've not talked extensively before uh, sitting down today about this, but um, we have Bibles and we're ministers of the gospel. So we're not pretending to be lawyers. We're not pretending to be Canadians, but we are not pretending to be uh, anything other than ministers of the Word of God, and God's Word speaks to this. So it was a week ago, right, I think uh, last week, that the uh, President Trudeau, or Prime Minister Trudeau in Canada, issued the Emergencies Act, right? Is that correct? Okay. And so the Emergencies Act is now in play, which has uh, brought about what I would consider to be some draconian responses to this Uh, Freedom Convoy, which has been going on for several weeks now. And let me just frame it a little bit. Graham, you fill in any uh, spaces that I'm leaving out. But there were three primary areas of concern in terms of where the blockades were occurring. Uh, One or two of them were at um, pass-throughs over the border between the United States and Canada. One was in Detroit, I think, or yeah. that, that one. Yeah, the Windsor area. Yeah, the Windsor. And then another one was at the Sawgrass. Uh, um, bridge. Yeah, the bridge leading into Montana mm-hmm. as well. And then the third one is in Ottawa. Now, those first two have been resolved, and they were resolved peacefully. My understanding is the truckers shook hands with the uh, – law enforcement officials as they dispersed. And so all that is going on now is still in Ottawa where there are trucks that are parked, some places where it's legal for them to be parked and others maybe where it's not been um, regarded that it's a place for a truck to stop, but they've been honking their horns. Mm-hmm. And people have been taking them supplies and, and uh, fuel for their trucks, food to eat. And now with this emergency act, those types of efforts to support the truckers is being cracked down on mm-hmm. by the government. So is that yes? any gaps in that that you can no, that's, see? No, that sounds about right. The, the the Freedom Convoy, I think it's been in Ottawa since the end of January. Is that correct? The last week yeah, of right. January. So they've been there for some time now. Mm-hmm. And um, the concern there uh, by some is that they're disrupting the economy there in Ottawa to such an extent that they have to be removed. Otherwise, you know, people will lose their livelihoods. They can't move around freely, um, which makes one think about the Last two years. uh, (laughs) Mandates over the past two years that they've had there in Ottawa. Yeah, yeah. And these truckers have said, you know, we're not doing this violently. And to my knowledge, there's not been any recorded violence 
on the part of those who are uh, leading the protest. Although I saw Jordan Peterson uh, a couple of days ago posted a video of two of the truckers gotten a snowball fight or something. Oh, like did that. they? Okay, so there's well, a little bit of violence. I withdraw it. <laughs> <laughs> but in addition to that, now they're, they're freezing bank accounts of people who are trying to supply money to help out this protest and to see it be successful. I think, first of all, GoFundMe, is that right? That was the one mm-hmm. that uh, raised over $10 million. People yeah. supported it. And then they said, we're not going to do this. And right. they were going to distribute it to charities of their choice. And there was so much pushback yeah. that they finally refunded the money to everybody that gave. And so now it's Give, Send, Go that has raised, last I saw, was 8 to $9 million. Yeah. And the government is now saying, we are going to trace out anyone who's given. And, and I've seen a couple of reports of people that gave $50. Mm-hmm. And they now are uh, being called to account. And even the Salt Lake City, uh, Utah newspaper is calling people whose names they've discovered through, quote, a a hacked, leaked uh, document and beginning to question them as well. It's just, it's bizarre. Yeah, it's amazing the way that... um even outside of the, the official ways in which the government will exercise its authority, even through something like the Emergency Act, the way that it can affect um, those who disagree with with official pronouncements or official actions by the government. So, for instance, even through these newspaper agencies um, bullying people mm-hmm. who have given, uh, there was one business who had donated, uh, or the owner of a business had donated to the Freedom Convoy. And then the business started receiving phone calls that if, you know, we're going to start throwing bricks through your window from private citizens. Yeah, because this stuff was uh, let out, was doxxed. They Mm -hmm. were being doxxed. So, well, how do Christians think about this? What should we think about it? Well, there are parameters. We need to know the facts the best we can. Everybody has opinions, but there are some facts. One of the facts is that there are fundamental freedoms that are ensconced in the Constitution of Canada. So I'm looking... Uh, right now at this document that is um, the Canadian Charter of Rights and Freedoms, Section 2B, it says this, everyone has the following fundamental freedoms, freedom of thought, belief, opinion, and expression, including the freedom of press and other media of communication. And so here would be, I think, an example of the freedom of expression. This is Mm -hmm. what these truckers are doing. They're protesting. And of course, Canada has had protests before, as recently as uh, the summer of 2020 Mm -hmm. and beyond. Black Lives Matter uh, protested significantly in Canada. And in fact, uh, the Prime Minister Trudeau joined in with them, even very symbolically and uh, ceremonially took a knee to show his support of that protests, those protests, and there was no social distancing, which was required at that time, no Mm -hmm. masks, which was required at Mm -hmm. that time, um, and was not always peaceful. Right. So there the government is in the face of its prime minister saying, we support this. This must be allowed to to take place. And now with a peaceful protest from a different kind of protester, folks that have been doing their jobs, they've They've had to live under very difficult circumstances with all of the restrictions that have come from the government because of the response to COVID-19. The government is saying, we're going to shut you down. We're going to punish people who try to support you in any way. We're going to begin to treat you under this emergency act as if you're terrorists, which is crazy. Yeah, you know, I don't know what kind of uh, violence or damage was done by the BLM protests in Canada um, at the time, but I know that 
in the U.S. over the summer of 2020, I think it was over $2 billion in damages done by the BLM protests. And when you consider the spirit in which the BLM protests were received by the government in Canada and the spirit in which this freedom convoy, these truckers are being received by the the government, and then you compare it with the, the damages or the violence done by either group, it's incredible. It is incredible. And what it does is it just highlights in another, uh, unavoidable illustration of the divisions that exist mm-hmm. in our culture in Western civilization and here in the United States, also in Canada, that you look at these same events, these same uh, set of facts, and you see them through completely different lenses. Mm-hmm. And if you are a leftist and support Black Lives Matter, well, then you think, of course, that should have happened and nobody should be upset about it because look what they were protesting for and against. And if you are one that supports the uh, uh, lack of restrictions or less restrictions from COVID-19, you would say, well, yes, the truckers are right. No questions about that because the cause is right. I want to think about it more principally. Uh, do, do Christians have a right to protest government? And I would say uh, yes, you know, but we, we, don't, we don't get our charter of rights from the government. We don't decide uh, what's right and wrong by the government, but we do have the Word of God, and the Word Mm -hmm. of God tells us how to think about and respond to governmental authorities, and it's pretty clear. It's pretty clear. So let me just read the the two classic passages. One of them is in Romans 13. The other is 1 Peter 2. Romans 13, Paul says, let every person be subject to, to the governing authorities for there's no authority except from God and those that exist have been instituted by God well I'm right there the governments exist by God and so whenever we look at the government if we are uh, plotting evil against the government if we're trying to just uh, willy-nilly overthrow a government because we don't like the particular politics of mm-hmm. the day we need to be sobered up and realize this government exists from God but on the other side of it we need to be clear-minded in our heads that this government gets its authority from God. God's the one who's over government. And I think that gets lost on Christians today Mm -hmm. in the West. Yeah, and the reason why Christians are to be subject to governing authorities is not because they're a governing authority, but rather because they themselves are instituted by God. That's right. So in being subject to governing authorities, what we're doing is we're being subject to God in his servant in the magistrate. That's right. So it's our, our loyalty to God in Christ that causes us to look to the governing authorities and say, okay, we're not going to seek revenge on you. Uh, mm-hmm. We're not going to try to do evil to you. We're going to be respectful to you. We're going and to even you where honor. you err, we will be patient yeah. as far as we can be. That's you know, right. And humble. That's right. You know, we, we're not anarchists, mm-hmm. and, and we're not just uh, uh, nihilists here. We, we are people under authority ourselves, the same authority that, uh, the authority that comes from the same God that gave you your authority as a magistrate. Mm-hmm. So that's fundamental. And, and if we get that straight, it'll help us to uh, think principally about how to respond to government whenever it begins to become tyrannical, mm-hmm. which happens and is happening more and more to, in our day. And it will also uh, help us to know what we can and can't do in response to uh, tyrannical government. He goes on, he says, those who resist the authorities resist what God has appointed and those who re- and those who resist will incur judgment. Now, again, some people take that statement and they just universalize it, absolutize it. Like, okay, there's no resistance of government. But this can't be true because Paul, who wrote this in Acts chapter 16, 
says to those Philippian authorities who tried to get rid of him quietly when they realized, wait a minute, this is a Roman citizen we've just mistreated, contrary to mm-hmm. Roman law. And he says, no, you're not going to get rid of me quietly. You go get your uh, superiors who did this to me. You make them come down here and talk to me. Mm-hmm. So he was resisting authority that was duly appointed at that point, but he was doing so on principle. Mm-hmm. And he, wasn't, he wasn't being violent. He wasn't being disobedient to God. He goes on to say, For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear of the one who, had, who is in authority? Then do what's good, and you will receive his approval. So they are uh, they're not to be anything to be afraid of if you're doing good, and uh, you will be approved by authorities appointed by God, this text says, if you do good. And generally, that's, that's right. Mm-hmm. That's right. But that doesn't mean that governmental authorities are not afflicted by sin themselves and they yeah. can operate sinfully. Yeah, you know, one question I, I've used to ask myself often is, you know, is, is Paul being honest here when he says that rulers are not a terror to good conduct? Because, I mean, you could just, with a cursory glance at history, even just the history of the church, rulers have been an incredible terror to good mm-hmm. conduct. And mm-hmm. so is he saying something true? I think what he's doing here, you know, rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but, but to bad, is he's setting forth an ideal of this is what God has given the, the state, the magistrate to do. And so insofar as they are doing these things which, which God has commanded them to do, we are to subject to them in, in all that mm-hmm. they command. Yeah, and he, he goes on to say he is God's servant for your good. Well, okay, if, uh, if a magistrate then says, hey, let's uh, round up all the Christians and kill them, which was going on in some, uh, some governors in the realm of Rome did that specifically. There were local as well as... Uh, uh, throughout the Roman kingdom, persecutions at different times, they're not doing good. They're not doing good by God's definition of good. They are misusing the very authority that God gave them. And mm-hmm. so whenever a duly appointed authority, like a magistrate, like a husband, like an elder, uh, like a boss, begins to exercise that authority in ways contrary to the God who gave that authority, then they're to be resisted. Mm-hmm. And that doesn't That's not merely limited to when they begin to command you to do evil or forbid you from doing evil. That's right. I think that's a really important point that we've often just kind of glossed over. You know, as well, as soon as the state commands me to do something that's sinful, well, then I Mm -hmm. I need to disobey. But as long as they're commanding me to do something that's maybe indifferent or not explicitly sinful, well, then I have to obey them in everything that they command me Mm -hmm. to do. And and that's just not so. It's not so. Paul didn't do that in Philippi. Mm -hmm. I mean, he... There was no sin in the command, leave the city, leave the city quietly. There's nothing sinful in that. Yeah. And yet Paul resisted that, and he did so in principle. And that's what I want us to uncover and kind of highlight in our day. We need that desperately. So here in verse 4, I mean, this is so critical. He is God's servant for your good. He is God's servant. And then Paul repeats that a couple of verses later. So Justin Trudeau is God's servant. He's God's deacon. He's going to give an account to God one day. And from where I'm sitting, not as a Canadian citizen, not as a uh, Canadian uh, legal expert, but from where I'm sitting, reading, trying to talk to the the people who are in Canada, listening to the Canadian legal experts that, that have spoken on this, it seems to me that he is abusing the authority that comes to him from God. Mm-hmm. And so what, what should God's people think about this? Well, I think 
we measure him by the same standard that we have in the scripture to measure all cases of righteousness and evil and where we see that he's come up short and he is not operating the way that God's called him to operate, we say, sir, servant of God, uh, you are out of bounds here. Mm -hmm. You are not operating and exercising the authority God has given you in the proper way. You go over to 1 Peter. It's the same thing, stated a little differently, a little more positively here. Paul says in 1 Peter 2.13, Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and praise those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. So there it is. Be subject to every institution, knowing that this comes from God. God's the one that's instituted these things. But look again. Who? Are, what are the responsibilities of those human governments that God has instituted? Those are sent by him to punish those who do evil and praise those who do good. This is the will of God. Well, again, the question needs to be asked. By God's standard of goodness and evil, is the Canadian federal government now acting for the welfare of its people? Is it doing good or is it doing evil? And I would say... If you are freezing the bank accounts of businesses and individuals who have given money legitimately, honestly, uh, righteously for the truckers to support them, then that is evil. Mm -hmm. I think you've overstepped your boundaries. Or you are forcing private businesses in the city of Ottawa to trucker um, tow truck tow truck companies to yeah. to remove protesters against their will uh, with. Uh, with the threat of fine or imprisonment, well, that is wicked and that is unlawful. So when when we say that we are to obey the government in all that is lawful and all things lawful, that doesn't mean that we are to obey the government as so far as they command us to do lawful things. But right. what is lawful for them to command? That's are right. They, are they commanding something that that is legitimate for them to command? Well, and we have to be we have to be humble about that. We have to you know just as as soon as there's a disagreement between us and the civil magistrate, as soon as that arises, that doesn't mean that we protest. Yeah, that's right. Um, we, we have to be patient. We have to be humble, recognizing that we could be um, mistaken in our own judgments. Uh, but the Canadian people have been patient. I mean, it's been over two years of this, and the, and the Canadian people really have suffered. I mean, we have we have over 30 uh, Canadians that have moved down here and who have become uh, part of our congregation because of the difficulties that they've undergone in Canada. Yeah, that's right. And, Graham, you were quoting from the uh, Confession of Faith, the Second London there, about obeying them in all uh, lawful things. And um, let me just read a part of this. It says, this is from chapter 24 of the 1689 Confession. Christians may lawfully accept and carry out the duties of public office when called to do so. Think about that. Okay, then how does a Christian carry out public, uh, the duty of public office? Well, you do it as a Christian. You're Not under, as a secularist. No, that's right. You're under the authority of Christ. In performing their office, they must especially maintain justice and peace according to the wholesome laws of each kingdom or other political entity. To carry out these duties, they are authorized now under the New Testament to wage war in just and necessary situations. Which, by the way, I just read an article or a sermon by Andrew Fuller on this very point in 1803 when Napoleon was threatening uh, to invade uh, England. And it's a, it's a wonderful sermon. I'll try to... Uh, We'll try to get that up on the founder site at some point in which he cites this very thing that, yes, you know, there's a time and a place where Christians, as well as other citizens of a, a national body politic, 
should be prepared to take arms in the, the defense of uh, the, the earthly kingdom. So it goes on to say, <clears throat> because civil authorities are established by God for the purposes stated, we should submit in the Lord to them in everything lawful that they require. Mm-hmm. So that lawful, that second lawful there, we submit to them in everything lawful they require is the law of God. Mm-hmm. It's, yeah, whatever laws they pass, we are to obey if they're lawful laws. If it's lawful for them to pass those laws. Not that's right. as long as it's lawful for you to do what they command. Yeah, that's right. Is it lawful for them to pass those laws? Yeah, so we we see you know, our forefathers understood that in the confession of faith. And uh, it's important for us to think principally about these things. That doesn't mean every Christian is going to agree mm-hmm. on every uh, dimension of how to respond to this protest. And I, I read an article just this morning where there are churches, you know, that are being divided over this and it's creating a lot of tension and that shouldn't happen. We need to, we need to try to understand the word of God as clearly as we can, both in what it says and then what it doesn't say and be willing to have honest conversations and debates about implications and applications of principles. The principles are pretty clear in my mind, but how they apply in different circumstances, we might see that differently, and we might apply it a little differently from time to time. So one plea would be, brothers and sisters, we can't let these things split a church. You know, mm-hmm. you're, you're, whether you're pro the Freedom Convoy or anti-Freedom freedom Convoy, uh, those things need to be held rather uh, loosely. The principles that lead you to your convictions, hold them strongly and argue for them and try to help each other to think clearly. But uh, this is not something that should be splitting churches uh, if the principles are understood and agreed upon and held clearly. But my fear is that that's not happening yeah. always. That there, there are churches that maybe uh, could do a better job of teaching what the principles are here about being submissive to lawful authority and then how to um, respectfully disobey lawful authority when lawful authority refuses to exercise that authority in lawful ways. Yeah. So the question then arises, and I think many, particularly in in Baptist circles, would ask this question. I mean, what are we doing getting so involved in politics? What, what business is it of, uh, of ours? It's a different nation. It's not our home. Furthermore, this world is not our home. And so why are we inv- involving ourselves in this worldly uh, issues like this in these partisan issues? Yeah, well, this, this world is our home. Uh, this world made new will be our eternal home. And so I'm not suggesting that, yeah, we want to do everything we can right now because this is all we get. And then we got to go around once. So grab it, grab the gusto that you can. It's not that at all. Uh, it is an understanding, though, that God has placed us here and now, and that every square inch, uh, as has been famously said, of this world, this created universe, belongs to God. And we are obligated to live for his honor and glory in every sphere that he has ordained. So it's not a giving up our responsibility. It's, it's, it's a proper exercise of our responsibility as citizens of the eternal kingdom that are also citizens of the kingdoms that we belong to here for us, the United States. So I, I think this idea that, well, politics is just dirty business and you know, we need to leave that to other people is, um, is not seeing the Lordship of Christ rightly. Mm-hmm. The church isn't a political action co- committee at all. The church is an outpost of the kingdom of heaven, but that outpost is in the kingdom of this world. Mm -hmm. And so we are to pray for peace. We are to um, 
as we just read, show respect and honor to civil magistrates. And as we do that, we do that because of our loyalty to Christ. And loyalty to Christ means that we desire to see Christ honored in every sphere in this world. So I, I would reject that idea that, no, this is just getting involved in politics, and that's not the place of a Christian. Again, I'm gonna, we'll post the uh, Andrew Fuller sermon because it's uh, from a completely different generation, completely different political mm-hmm. system, and full of the wisdom of these same kinds of principles that we're talking about. Yeah, and I think I would want to add that you know we can't ignore the importance of the second great commandment to, to love neighbor. And, and certainly that involves uh, more than just political activism. It involves evangelism. It involves discipleship. It involves giving of oneself. Um, but we can't deny how important political realities and governmental realities are to the everyday life of every single person that, that dwells on this earth. Mm-hmm. Uh, and if there's anything that we can do to bring about stable and free geopolitical entities, even in our own context here in the U.S., we should go about doing that. That's right. It's important for us to, to see that happen. That's right. So Jesus said, greater love has no man than to lay down his life for a friend. Well, uh, in some regards, these truckers are laying down uh, mm-hmm. their livelihoods. I mean, they're not getting paid, mm-hmm. and there's all kind of things at risk, and yet they're doing this. Why? Well, uh, in one sense, at least the Christians I've heard speak about it, uh, they are concerned about their citizen, their fellow citizens there. They want better for Canada than what the federal government has been doing recently. And I know there can be all kind of other motives, but I think that is a right and proper motive. You know, we were hammered for the last two years, uh, wear your mask because that's how you love your neighbor. If you don't wear your mask, you're not loving your neighbor. And I think I can make the argument, uh, don't wear your mask because you love your neighbor. Yeah. You know, resist tyranny because Mm -hmm. you love your neighbor. This is what love looks like when government begins its overreach and to abuse the authority that God gave it to exercise for the good of its citizens. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And and the way in which you see um, the masking issue and the damage that is done, especially to young children and mm-hmm. their social development and the damage that is done to society and not being able to see one another's faces and the the, the little benefit, if any benefit at all, to having a mask to, to slow the spread and what we've seen um, in, in the data concerning that. It's just, yeah, I think I would agree with you that to love one's neighbor, maybe you should think about, think twice before you put that mask on. Yeah. Yeah. And so that's, that's the, that's where we've been played and misled a lot. I think over the last couple of years is there have been these, uh, assumed definitions and, you know, everybody ought to love your neighbor. Mm-hmm. And this is, we're going to tell you what love your neighbor looks like. And we can't do that. We've got to think more principally than that. So, uh, there might be some short-term benefit if I take this action, but what's the long-term consequences? I've, mm-hmm. I've had conversations like this with men who are facing uh, vaccine mandates in their places of employment, and they said, you know, i got to feed my family. I, I get that. I get that. And one man in particular that I was um, communicating with, and he said, I just feel like I've, I've got to do it because i got to put food on the table. And I, I wouldn't. I wouldn't criticize him for getting a vaccine for that purpose. But as the conversation flowed, it said, you know, you also got children that are going to grow up in this country. Mm-hmm. And it might be that your short-term pain and not being able to put food on your table the way you want to could serve them better long-term. If mm-hmm. you resist this kind of tyranny, this kind of overreach of a, a governmental agency telling you, you got to do this or you can't work and, and eat. Um, so I can make that case, you know, on both sides of the argument there and that's it where that's true then we ought to 
be willing to show some grace to each other and let's let's make the arguments, let's try to persuade one another from the same common understanding of what the biblical principles are, recognizing the application of them might be a little different from situation to situation. Yep. Well, there's no doubt this is a difficult thing, but uh, personally, I'll just say I'm on record supporting the truckers and their Freedom Convoy. I'm glad that they're doing it. I think it's the right kind of thing. I, I think that as Christians living in a constitutional republic, and again, I'm speaking now in the context of the United States, we have the opportunity to speak. Our Constitution recognizes this as a God-given right. This is an unalienable right. It can't be taken from us because it hasn't been given to us by the government. And as such, as God's people, we need to exercise those rights in order to show primary love to God, love Him supremely, heart, soul, mind, and strength, and then secondary genuine love to our neighbors to try to encourage them to have opportunity to live well in God's world. But in and through everything else, man, pray for Canada. Pray for the churches there, the pastors there, God's people there. Uh, pray for uh, Prime Minister Trudeau. We've done that in our worship service, and I encourage other churches to do that as well. The Scripture says that God has even king's hearts in his hand. He can turn them wherever he will, and that's certainly true for Prime Minister Trudeau as well as for uh, President Biden and all of the other magistrates in this world. Well, thanks for joining us on the Sword and the Trial. We look forward to seeing you again next week.